Well, we'll all be God. As I was saying, let's go to Genesis 1 today. Uh, start there because there's an interesting point here, I think, to be made. Uh, at the time Adam and Eve were created, uh, on, the, on the sixth day, beginning of verse 24, God made the beasts and the cattle and, and the animals and so on. And on the same day, in verse 26, God said, us, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, that's the Father and the Son, of course, Elohim, two of them, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So, he had made these other animals, and then he said, let's make man, and let's give him dominion over everything. Now, isn't that what people are after today? They want control and dominion over everything. And you have a certain amount of people who are working together to try to accomplish that. Well, that's the first thing God said about making man and woman was to give them power and dominion over everything. The whole earth. So, God created man in his own image, and in the, Im in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So, he made man, and then he made woman. He gets into the details of that in chapter 2, but he mentions it overall here in chapter 1, that he did both. And right off the bat in verse 28, and God blessed them. So he had just made them, and he blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Now that statement right there is probably the only thing that God ever told man that he actually did. Uh, we were fruitful, and multiplied, and replenished the earth. And that occurred, and then after Noah, it occurred again. And we've done everything we can to subdue the earth, certainly. But he did not mean to subdue it in a wrong way, but to domesticate, to tame, to, well, they were already tamed, the animals, but to take care of. In other words, you'll have control over and you can take care of it in a proper manner. And it will all be subject to you in terms of subduing it. And then he explains what that means. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So they were given dominion, power, oversight of everything. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, 
And to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then he saw everything he had made on that day. It was a pretty good Friday, actually. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So on Friday, he made man and woman, made the beasts. He said, I'm going to bless you. He did bless them, pronounced his blessing on them, and gave them dominion and power over everything. They had everything that anybody could today dream of. All the things that are out of control that man wants to bring under his control. He gave it all to them. And he did not, if you'll notice, give them a choice much. He'll give them one choice here in a little bit. But up to this point, it's all good. I made you, and I made all this that you see, and it's all yours. Everything is very good. There was nothing out of order. There was not one hair out of place. Everything was just perfect. And he blessed them with it. Now you'll notice a difference in everything that we consider afterward. And we'll get to that. Anyway, he rested on the Sabbath day at the beginning of chapter 2 and blessed it and looked upon what he had done and and, uh, saw that it was good. And then he had the four rivers coming out of Eden. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. So he gave them dominion over this, and he told them then, you're supposed to take care of it. You dress it, you prune it, you take care of everything. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall die. And then he rehearses the making of woman as a gift to man, and it's certainly the greatest gift physically speaking, that he could have possibly done and ever did. So, he blessed Adam incredibly, and Eve, and he gave them one little instruction, just one. He says, you've got everything, it's all yours. Every blessing you could possibly want, everything on earth, You have control over, uh, just dress and keep it, and everything will be wonderful. And then he gave them one little instruction. He said, uh, you can have everything here, but that one tree, don't eat of it, or you'll die. Now, we have a book today that's pretty thick, isn't it? has an awful lot of instruction and stuff in it. But that was a pretty thin one he gave them that day. Didn't amount to much. Wouldn't even fill a page. 
you have everything, just don't eat that from that tree. It's the only instruction he gave. One little piece of advice, one little piece of command, one little instruction. How tough could that be? Everything here is ours. It's wonderful. There were no mosquitoes. There were no thorns. There was nothing bad. Everything was beautiful and wonderful and very good. You would think, given all that, they would have said, Oh, okay, that's no big deal. Uh, Boy, everything's great here. It's wonderful. And then somebody comes along and says, That one tree over there, you know, isn't that a nice tree? You know what the answer should have been? Oh, yeah, but yeah, we don't care. We got all these other things here. Everything's here. It's just wonderful. Who cares about that? Oh, but wait a minute. Isn't it a little special? Isn't it look better than all these others? Isn't the grass a little greener over there under that tree than it is anywhere else? Well, yeah, you might be right. It does look pretty green under that tree. I don't know how it could have been approached, but Satan said, you ought to have that one. That's special. Oh, really? Well, I think I will. Now, what God had said didn't mean a thing. What Satan said suddenly meant everything. I find it Interesting that in this particular case, God did not offer blessing and cursing in the way that he has done ever since. Ever since. See, man had not seen any evil. Man did not know what evil was. He had not partaken of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so there was no clue what evil could be. So if God had said, I offer you blessing or I offer you cursing, they would not have comprehended because they they wouldn't have understood what cursing was. They'd never seen anybody be cursed. They'd never seen evil done to anyone. So he did not promise them blessing and cursing per se, although he did say, if you eat of that, you will die. And I wonder how much they even comprehended death at that point, because they'd just been created. They'd seen nothing dead. All the plants were alive and thriving. All the animals were alive and thriving. Death must have been a strange thought when God said, you eat of it and you'll die. Well, what does die mean? (laughs) They'd never experienced death in any form or any shape or kind. So he couldn't really give them a whole lot of things to consider because they had no basis of comparison. So when Satan came along, hey, all right, we'll go along with that. And then 
they began to understand good and evil. Now, they had not even been ashamed to be naked together before God. End of chapter 2, as husband and wife, there was nothing to be ashamed of. There was nothing bad. Sin had not been. Lust and temptation for the wrong thing had never occurred. It just never occurred. So they were perfectly happy and perfectly comfortable. And then as soon as they ate the wrong thing, a sense of shame, a sense of the difference between good and evil came upon them. And then they ran and hid from God because, A, they were naked, so they grabbed some leaves and tried to cover up. They were ashamed suddenly, and they weren't getting along any anymore. They were blaming each other and accusing each other, and things were not happy. And they never got happy again for Adam and Eve, I doubt. Not really happy. And they died working from the sweat of their brow with all kinds of thorns and thistles and problems, having been kicked out of that magnificent garden. Just for one minor little infraction that would seem so small, and yet it became quite large. Did you ever read a scripture that says, God will not be mocked? He won't be. Now, that's part of this bigger book. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here now. And that one, God will be, not be mocked, is just one little verse in here. And it had to be written because God will not be mocked. And if he tells you, don't eat of this one, and you do, then there's going to be something that happens. And ever since then, mankind has known the difference between good and evil. And God had to look around and try to find people who would recognize that they ought to do good rather than evil because nearly everybody wanted to do nothing but evil continually. So he found Enoch and he found Noah. And after the flood, he looked around and, well, it was Abraham. Out of all the people that had been propagated through Noah's family, about the only one he could find at that point that was worth having around was Abraham, who overlapped perhaps with Noah and got some instruction from him. That's a possibility. But nevertheless, it was sure hard to find people that would do anything God said. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. And let's see some foundational principles here, which start in Genesis 1 and still carry through. This is a little more complete than what God lays out, because he has begun to work here with Abraham's seed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had been through 430 years of slavery just as we have been through now over 430 years of choosing our own way in this nation, and they've been delivered from that. So here they were, and God is going to put something before them in the same way that he did before Adam and Eve. 
This was a little more complete with a lot more instruction here because by now, after what had happened in the garden, man had seen an awful lot of bad stuff. And he'd seen some good stuff. But man generally does what? Man generally chooses bad stuff. (laughs) That's just what we do. Part of it is Satan is bad and has a great influence over people, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He influenced them so fast, they were just absolutely blindsided and sucked in before they had a clue what was going on. And suddenly it had happened. One little instruction from God and they had disobeyed it. Just like that. And then God tells us in this bigger book that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked and all our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags and our mind is contrary to God by nature. So, evil is what people pursue. Now, if God begins to work with someone somewhere along the line, He will... Tell them, here's good and here's evil. And if you will do this, I will bless you and everything will be great. If you don't, I'll curse you and everything will be bad. Now, when he made a covenant with Abraham, he rehearsed a certain amount of that with everyone. Now, here with Israel... Deuteronomy 28, it's, it's repeated, in, or it's first said in Leviticus 26, and repeated here in Deuteronomy. Uh, a little more detail in Deuteronomy. But here was a nation just setting forth. So he gives them some instruction. As I say, it's a lot more uh, detailed instruction than he gave Adam and Eve. There was just one little thing there they had to do, and they blew it. So here, man has seen an awful lot of cursing and not a whole lot of blessing. That's just the way it had been ever since the garden. So he's starting to move forward with the people that he wants to be his people. And here's what he tells them. It shall come to pass... If you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Eternal your God to observe and do all His commandments. Oh, there are more now. Not just one little instruction not to eat of one tree. Now He has more commandments, which I command you this day that the Eternal your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. Now, he's offering dominion and control again, isn't he? Dominion over all the nations of the earth. Now, with Adam and Eve, there weren't any nations at that point. There were just two people. They were given dominion over the animals and the fish and everything else. But dominion over man is more difficult. Uh, Man is harder to rule over and control and subdue than fishes and animals. So, here, 
I'll set you above all the nations of the earth. You'll be the leaders. You'll have them all at your command. Interesting, isn't it, that they have to do the commandments in order to achieve that. You have people today who are denying God altogether and worshiping the earth, or Satan, or both. And they are seeking dominion over all nations. They are seeking to rule all people and have dominion over all people. Have you ever heard any of them mention the commandments of God? I've heard them say they need one world government to be able to bless and help everybody that's left after they kill 90%. So they plan on murdering 90% of the population of the earth and then ruling over that which is left. So they are trying to take without God's commandments, control over all nations and all peoples. Now, they're having a difficult time doing it. They've been working at it for a long, long time. Different people throughout history have tried it. Nimrod, Napoleon, Hitler. You you can name a lot of people. Alexander the Great who would like to subdue the earth and wanted to control it all. They say Alexander the Great died saying, Oh, I have no more nations to conquer. I've, I've conquered the world. Of course, he hadn't entirely, but he was coming close. So it's been a goal and a purpose of a lot of people. And is it not, to one degree or another, part of all of us? You, probably individually, have never thought of trying to rule the earth. You could have cared less, right? Why would you want to be king over all the earth? You're just a a people. You're just one of many, many millions and billions on the earth. And you've never probably had aspirations that great. Now, maybe if you had been given power somewhere along the line your dreams would have expanded. See, power corrupts, and total power corrupts totally. And a lot of people never aspired to rule the earth until they got to be a senator or a president or whatever, and then things seemed possible to them that had never seemed possible before, so they began to expand their dreams to think, Maybe I need to rule over more. I am so wonderful anyway. And I've come this far because I am so great. And therefore, maybe my greatness should be expanded. And I should control more. So you never got to that point and you never cared about ruling the world. But did you have the same problem as the guy who wanted to? You see, we think in terms of that which is around us, don't we? So, you didn't want to control the whole world. You just wanted to control 
your world and everyone in it. You wanted to control your family. And if the people next door and their children weren't under control, then somewhere in there you had this feeling of, I'd like to get control of their kids, since they won't. So you don't want to control the world, you just want to control the block. Or your extended family, or the rest of your family. And so you began to think, they're not doing what I want them to do. I want my family to be different. I want them to be after my own image, not what they want to be. So we begin to push at a little bit, and we begin to try to change people and remake them in the way we want them to live, not the way they want to live. Did you ever see that? How did it get to the point that children would be our oppressors and women would rule over us? How did it get that way? Because people want to control that which is in their purview, that which is within their gates, if you will, and then maybe the gates next door. Why do so many family contentions come up within a family? Because somebody in the family's decided that everybody in the family isn't like they want them to be. So they start working on them, subtly, openly, depending, gently, or really pushing people to be like they want them to be. Is that right? Is that fair? No, it usually creates family problems. Because maybe everybody in that family wants everybody to be like they want them to be. So then they begin to fight and war among themselves and resent one another and have difficulty with one another because somebody there is stirring the pot and trying to make people conform to be what they want them to be. Do you like that when somebody does that to you? They want you to change to be what they want you to be. Usually like them. Because we aren't generally wrong, are we? We must be thinking right. I mean, this is, this is how I think. And since I think this way, it must be the right way for me to think. Naturally. But my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my mother, my father, they don't think like I think. So they must be wrong. I must change them. I must work on them. I must get them to be made in my image. Well, we all need to be in God's image. And sometimes our self-righteousness gets in our way, and we think that the image we're trying to remake our family, or the block, or the town, or whatever, however big our sphere of influence is, If we believe in God, and we believe in the things of God, then we will try to make everybody over in God's image. 
And sometimes that can be very difficult because self-righteousness rears up. And though we may not ourselves be in God's image, we feel it's necessary to make everybody else be in God's image. And therefore, we work on them maybe harder than we work on ourselves. Now, what's wrong with that? All you're trying to do is be be more like God. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, not anybody else's. That's what's wrong with it. Because we try to make somebody else righteous where we have great difficulty even in making ourselves righteous. Now, if you can't make yourself righteous, how are you going to make somebody else be righteous? You're not going to get there. But you might frustrate a lot of people trying. You know what I mean? Have you ever had anybody act self-righteously toward you and put you down and make you feel unrighteous and like you ought to be different than you are because they want to transform you into something acceptable to them, but they wouldn't think it that way. They want you acceptable to God. There's where religious self-righteousness comes to pass. And we've all done it. We've all done it in the church. One way or another, at some time or another. I mean, one little way that it could show sometimes that we might see in ourselves is here we have been given the truth, we've been given God's Spirit, and we want our family and our friends and our relatives to have that same blessing. So we go out and try to convert them. Nearly all of us tried that at one time or another when we were first being called into God's truth. We felt like we had to go, oh, this is so wonderful. I've got to share it. But we would even go beyond sharing it, and then we would get on them a little bit. Well, why won't you? What's wrong with you? Why can't you understand? This is so simple. Why can't you get it? (laughs) You know? We get a little frustrated with them because they can't see. And that's one little way that it's manifest. And you can't convert anybody. You can't change them. You can't open their mind. Only the Father can do it. So, we've probably all tried that one. I wanted to use a simple example that we could all get. But we've also done it with each other. And that's where self-righteousness comes from. Now, God says here at the end, we'll be self-righteous. He said he spewed us out because we were self-righteous. And thinking we were righteous, we were then lackadaisical toward God. And he can't stand that lukewarmness, so he spewed us out. And then he says that I will give you my righteousness, end of Isaiah 54. Because he can't bring and gather a people together that are self-righteous and have them get along. It won't happen. Because each is righteous in his own eyes, and therefore he has problems with anybody else because they are not 
thinking like he is or she is. And therefore, I gotta change their thinking. I gotta help them get righteous. And so they don't get along. This is wrong with so and so, and this is wrong with so and so, and that's wrong with so and so. Why can't they be like God? Well, why can't you be like God? We're all limited, aren't we? And we all work at it, and we fall short. But it is not our job to condemn and judge others and point out their faults and try to make them be like God. All that does is cause more contention. All you can do is try to get you to be in the image of God. That's your limit. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you perceive or think you perceive faults in others, that's between them and God. That's for God to work out with them. You're not going to save anybody. Who made you the Savior? Huh? Who made you the Savior? The Father in heaven made Christ the Savior, didn't he? So how do we think we can go around saving anybody else? He's got to save us. And he will work his salvation in each and every one of us. But you cannot work his salvation in anybody. And you can barely work your own out with fear and trembling with his help. Because without his spirit, it's impossible. So why do we get uptight with each other? Why do we get frustrated with each other? Why do we try to change each other? We are to be an example to each other and a light to each other. Not a changer of each other. So we put each other off because of alleged faults or real faults or whatever they are. And we don't get along because we don't have the love of God dwelling in us, which is kind and gentle and merciful and forgiving and loving. Instead, we got this edge of wanting to alter or change or help somebody be more like we are. No, not we are, like God is. But too often it's like we are. We want them to think like I think. So this is a phenomenal problem that we all face. And to come to have the kind of love and peace that God wants us to have, we have to go back to Deuteronomy 28 to very, very basic fundamentals. It shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently to the voice of the Eternal your God to observe and do all His commandments. Well, that's what He tells uh, uh, Joshua there in Zechariah 3 and Zerubbabel in Zechariah 6 and all of us whom He's calling and gathering because it's written to all of us, not just to one man. If we will diligently obey, these things will come to pass. So he's doing the same thing to you and me here at a new beginning 
that he did with these people back then. He's telling us to diligently obey him, and all these wonderful things will come to pass. So this isn't just ancient history back here. This happens every time God begins to deal with people. Every time. Started with Adam and Eve, a little more gentle back then, and they screwed up, and it got worse. So now we have a basis of comparison, and have had ever since, between what happens to people who are obeying God and what happens to people who aren't. And sometimes there is a transitional period of time in which blessings or cursings begin to occur. A transitional time, going from one to the other. Going from cursing to blessing, or from blessing to cursing. We are at one of those transitional periods right now, in terms of the church, and in terms of our nation and the world. Look at it. The church has been cursed and scattered for several decades now. That cursing is at a transitional point where God will begin to bless. If we have learned to diligently obey, the blessings will come. I think we saw one come with a court case. Maybe we're beginning to get to the point God says, well, maybe I can work with them. Maybe I can begin to bless. Because they have made some progress. They have been repenting. They have been trying to be more zealous. They've been trying to have my righteousness instead of their self-righteousness. Now, we're not perfect by any means, but, but... If the world is transferring from blessing to cursing, the church should be now transferring from cursing to blessing. Are we ready for that? Let's look at it. I ask a question, now let's look at it. If you'll hearken and diligently obey all of God's commandments... He'll set you on high above all nations of the earth. So he was speaking to Israel as a beginning nation here. And we're looking at spiritual Israel as a beginning nation, the church. So everything here is for everybody. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken to the voice of the Eternal, your God. That's an interesting way of putting this. All these blessings will come to you or come on you. God is going to confer them. It isn't something in that sense that you have to work for. You know, if you're going to, let's say, become a wealthy person. Most generally, you have to work and you have to work hard at your farm or your business or whatever you're doing, in order to get ahead and to become wealthy. It's a hard project. It's something you have to really work at. Now, God says, if you will obey me and serve me and just keep my commandments, 
this will just come on you. It isn't something you can get by works, if you please. It's something that comes on you because God gives you good favor or grace. Pardon that you do not deserve. It just comes on you. And I like the second part of that. And overtake you like it's going to run you down from behind. If you will obey God and do everything He says, blessings will both come on you and they'll come up from behind you so fast they'll basically run over you. He puts it in a different way elsewhere where he says that the uh, the sower will overtake the reaper. In other words, the, 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 it's going to be such a bounteous crop that you'll be planting and reaping all at the same time. It's just so it's just so abundant. So he promises that kind of blessing to those who will obey him. Not something you really deserve from the work that you did, but something he gives you because he has grace and favor on you because you're just simply doing things his way. And he just simply lays it on you. That's a pretty powerful statement there. Just obey me and the, the blessing will run over you like a car from behind. If you shall hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God, blessed shall you be in the city. Do you like to go to American cities today? There's murder. There's disease. There's muggings. There's people crowded together. There's poverty. There's filth, there's squalor, and there's always all kinds of politics. And the newspaper is just full of bad news, and this one doing that, and someone doing something else. I don't feel blessed in our cities today. But here he says, you'll be blessed in the city. The city will be a wonderful place. Not big cities, God hates those. But... The town, the city, the village. It'll be a wonderful place. You'll be blessed in the city and be blessed in the field. Now, some of us tried planting some gardens out here when we first got here. We didn't know anything about gardening in the desert. And the soil was not as rich in some ways as it could be. And uh, we had difficulty. We'd grow weeds better than we could crops. Those, those seem to thrive. But God says, blessed. Now, he tells us like the Garden of Eden in Isaiah 55. If we will obey him and serve him, there's, a, there's another covenant he makes with people here at the end, just like he did back here with Israel, where everything is going to be wonderful. It'll overtake you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same deal he made with Adam and Eve, he would have honored, and they would have had nothing 
but wonders and blessings and ultimately been part of the kingdom of God and given eternal life had they simply left that one tree alone. They would have never known evil of any kind, no cursing of any kind. And he would have conferred eternal life on them if they had just obeyed one command. Then he had to expand it, made all kinds of rules, because people wouldn't follow the rules. So he'd make rules to cover rules. And then he made sacrifices if they broke all those rules, and it cost them a cow, or it cost them a sheep, or whatever. So it got complicated. Isn't some of the stuff in the Old Testament kind of complicated? Why? Because people wouldn't do what he asked them to do. Let's get it back where it's simple, shall we? This is real simple. If you'll just do what God says, you'll get all these blessings, and they'll, they'll just run over you. You'll have peace in the city and in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your uh, cattle and the flocks of your sheep. You won't have death loss. Everybody will be born in good shape, perfectly formed, their minds right. Wow. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. So you'll have so much that you'll have some to store up. You'll just have plenty. Everything you could need and more. So you put it in storage. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. You come into your house, and everything will be blessed there. There will be peace. There will be happiness. Husband and wives will get along and not fight. Children will not be rebellious. You'll have peace within your own home. Because everybody's obeying God's rules and following God's rules. And when everybody's following God's rules, there's no contention. When the rules are being somehow broken some way, out of that comes contention. So people can't get along within their own house. People that supposedly love each other, and probably do to one degree or another, can't get along because... Somehow, some way, powers being abused, uh, rules are being abused. There's rules of commission and omission. Sometimes we break that which we are told to do, and sometimes we just forget to do what we need to do. That's the sin of omission. We omit to follow. We forget about it or whatever. But... If we were keeping God's laws and His rules, we'd be blessed when we came in our house. Everything would work good. And blessed when you go out. Would it be nice to go out into the world to make a living? And everything that occurred would be a blessing. All good, all day long. You know, they got expressions which are supposed to cover these things, I guess. 
Well, so-and-so, everything he touches turns to gold. Because he just seems to be blessed no matter what he does. Somebody else, they say, boy, everything he does turns to manure. <laughs> What's the difference? What's the difference? Some of it in the world is time and chance. A lot of it. And some of that stuff that turned to gold was because he cheated and so on to get where he got. But God says, if you'll just obey me, all these things will just come to you. They'll be yours. I've been preaching that now for a lot of years. If we would just serve God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, He would turn it all around and give us all the blessings of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and the New Testament. We'd get them all. But we've struggled to be what we need to be. We've struggled to worship God with all our heart. And these have been held back. I hope we're getting close to the point where he can finally turn and say, Wow, your prayers mean something to me now. Before they were selfish. Now your prayer is for everybody. You love me more than anything else, and you love your neighbor as much as you do yourself. And you're actually praying as much for your neighbor as you are yourself. Wow. Because you love your neighbor as much as yourself. So you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Eternal shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. All you have to do is serve me diligently, and your enemies will be smitten. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Now, there's only four basic directions. So if they flee from you seven ways, that means they will flee in utter confusion. Seven directions, seven ways. They'll flee from you. Now he was, Moses was speaking to a nation of probably millions of people here. And they would have enemies. And God said, hey, I'll take care of that. No problem. You just follow my ways. Your enemies will flee before you seven ways. Have we experienced that in this nation years ago? I think we did. We won all the wars. Our enemies were subdued before us. What about some of those things that happened in World War II, even as late as that, where the weather came in and we were protected and could make a landing? Seemed like an absolute miracle from God to everybody that was involved that that happened the way it did. I think it was Normandy. Incredible that our enemies fled before us and we won over and over. Now the worm has turned. <laughs> Things are different now. Anyway, let's not get into that, because here we're, he's telling us 
telling, he told Israel, The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand to do. And he shall bless you in the land which the eternal your God shall give you. Wouldn't it be neat if everything you did turned out good? Is there any, uh, maybe we have a witness of that here somewhere. Can somebody tell me that everything they have ever done turned out good? Has that been your experience? It's not been mine. Some things have turned out good, and some things have sure turned out bad. And I could no, in no way say that everything that I've ever set my hand to do turned out good. No way. A lot of things turned out pretty bad. I was setting my hand to the wrong thing, maybe, or I didn't have the right attitude, or God simply wasn't blessing it because... I wasn't obeying him in the way that I should be. And he couldn't. He's limited. He wasn't limited because of what he can pour out. He's limited because we don't do what he says to do, and therefore he can't pour it out because he put a condition on it. If you will do everything I say, I will pour this out. But since you aren't, that limits me. By the deal I made. The deal limits itself. So he'll bless you in everything you set your hand to do and bless you in the land which he gives you. Now he's brought us here to the edge of the promised land. And I'm hoping he lets us in. And I'm hoping everything we do is good. And turns out good. Verse 9. The eternal shall establish you as an holy people to himself. As he has sworn to you, if you shall keep the commandments of the eternal your God and walk in his ways. He will establish you as a holy people. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't it be nice if everybody could look at us and say, you know, I only have one word for those people. They're holy. God blesses them. He has a close relationship with them. He works with them. Everything they try to do seems like just turns out wonderful. Everything they do just works. What a wonderful, holy people that is. What did Christ say? He said, I give you two rules. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love each other as yourselves. He boiled it down. He only gave one rule to Adam and Eve. Just one. Because they didn't know how to do evil. Didn't know what it was. Never thought of it. So we just gave him one rule. Just don't touch that one tree. Now, we went through all this trauma of God offering them blessing if they would obey him and cursing if they didn't. 
And they went the wrong way and murmured and complained from the very beginning. So he made all these other rules. Jeremiah 7.22 tells us, When I brought you out of Egypt, I didn't speak of sacrifice, of animals. They were added because of transgression. So we could just throw away a lot of this if nobody ever transgressed. Now Christ brought it to us almost as simply as with Adam and Eve, didn't he? He just gave us two rules. Love me, love your neighbor. He said it all boils down to that. Just two simple rules. Keep those and you will be a holy people. And didn't he say, we read it at Passover, By this shall all know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's that simple. We'll be blessed if we just love one another. Now how do we get from here to there is the question. How do we begin to show love one to another and not all these other attitudes that we show each other? How are we going to get there? You're not going to get there if you don't work at it. You just won't get there. We're to love each of us here is to love everyone else here as much as we love ourselves. But we change it a little. I love you. I just can't stand you. (laughs) I love you. I just have these ill feelings toward you. I love you, but I don't like you. How do you make that jive? Now, we will have varying relationships based on personality, background, age, all kinds of factors come into it. And with some people, you will automatically have uh, maybe a desire to be around because you have things in common that you like to talk about or enjoy. So, you know... What are you, if you like to be a, if you love golf and you meet somebody and they're a golfer, oh, let's talk golf. I kind of like you, especially since you shoot worse than I do, but you have something there that you can talk about that you both enjoy. So you might spend more time together than someone who uh, likes, oh, what? Uh, board games. And you don't play board games. You play golf. So, you don't have much to talk about. What about people that drink? Do they like being around people that don't drink? Not very much. People that drink like to find other drinkers. Or whatever. Because they have things in common. Now, even Christ had some disciples that he was closer to than others. Out of the twelve that were there, they had different types of personalities, right? 
They had different backgrounds. It was tax collector, fisherman, whatever. And so they did not generally meld together that well apart from Christ. Tax collectors and accountants get with other tax collectors and accountants and talk about math, I guess. I ain't one. Now, I like to hunt and fish. Now, if I find somebody that's done some hunting and fishing, I might get along better with them than I can to somebody that does math that I don't understand. That's natural, isn't it? Well, I can do a little math, so I get along with somebody that does a little math. But if we're from different backgrounds, different families, different habits, different hobbies, we don't get along with someone as well as someone who does things we do, and so on. So, a tax collector and a fisherman might not have gotten along as well. Now, Christ was the epitome of love, and John, the apostle, by nature, by his personality, by his upbringing, by how he was reared or whatever, tended to have more concern and love and compassion and feeling for other people than maybe the tax collector. I've met a few tax collectors in my life, IRS agent or two, and I did not feel an awful lot of compassion and love and feeling from an IRS examiner. He had a whole different approach to life than somebody who was in a different field. Because he was there to extract my money. And he didn't like me, he liked my money. So you get all this mix of people together, and there would be differences, and they might not have all become bosom buddies, but that's what John became with Christ, a bosom buddy. He was quite comfortable when Christ leaned back against the tree. He was quite comfortable to come and lay his head on his chest. Cultural thing in that sense. Most men today would not be that way, in our society at least. But he was quite comfortable with that. And the disciples saw that he had a special relationship with Christ. Different than theirs. So when they wanted to know, well, what's this thing about Judas? And who is it he's talking about? They said, hey, John, you ask him. We're a little afraid to. You ask him. Because he likes you better than he likes us. Or he'll answer you quicker than he likes with us. Now, he's no respecter of persons. But that doesn't mean that he did not have a closer relationship with John because of John's personality. He was the same to all of them. But because of John's personality, there was a special relationship there that the other disciples could see. Now, there could have been jealousies, right? Because he likes you better than he likes me. Now, maybe Christ didn't. Maybe he did. I don't know. He might have tended to like some better than others. I think he probably likes Christ better than he likes you and me. 
because Christ is more obedient. Christ is totally obedient. He's his son in whom he is well pleased. Now, if he looks at Daryl Henson, he's going to have to say, well, yeah, I love him, but I got mixed feelings. He looks at you, he says, yeah, I love him, but I got mixed feelings. And I sure hope that he gets to be like we are. I love him now, but I love him more. I think he says that about every one of us. Maybe it's not just his loving. Maybe he loves us all the same. I don't know, but maybe he likes us better. I don't think he really likes Satan's conduct. I don't even know how he feels towards Satan totally, because God is love. And that's their problem, not mine. But we're here to love each other as ourselves. That means we have to make concessions for each other. We forgive ourselves. We've got to forgive each other. We do whatever we need to to ask God to have a good favor on us. Therefore, we have to give good favor on others. All these things have to work together And we have to have peace and love and compassion and understanding on each other without fail, universally. Some people are easier to love than others. Hey, just the way it is. I've heard the expression, to know you, is to love you. I've also heard the expression, to know you, is to really hate you. You know what I mean? We have a wide range of emotions that are human. And some people simply are more lovable than others. Can't get around it. It's the way it is. Now, this one may not be as lovable as that one, but that one might be more lovable to this one. It goes back and forth. Because there's some people you just simply like or can get around and be around more than others. But, in spite of that, we can have closer friendships here, 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 or there. But we need to be able to get along with everybody. That God lays on us. You need to be able to get along with everybody as well as you get along with yourself. And even that we have problems with. You know, there are times I have trouble getting along with myself. Because myself doesn't always want to do what myself ought to do. My mind doesn't always think the way my mind ought to think. So sometimes I have trouble getting along with myself. So then what have I got to do? I've got to go in and talk to God... And say, God, I'm disgusted with myself. Help me. Help me love myself. And then if I have the same problem with somebody else, and I don't like the way they're doing, or the way they act, or their attitude, or whatever, then I have to go to God and say, help me get along with that one. I have trouble getting along with this one. So I'm naturally going to have trouble getting along with someone else. Now, God has trouble getting along with all of us. 
because we all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what we're dealing with is sin. What we're dealing with is what he's telling us here. If you'll do all his commandments, I'll bless you. All his commandments are summed up, love God and love your neighbor. If you'll keep those two, I'll bless you. This is so simple, brethren. This is so simple. Why do we have to make it so complicated? Why do we have to put each other down? Why do we have to gossip about each other? Why do we have to stab each other in the back? Why do we have to be discontented and frustrated with somebody? We don't have to be. We just need to learn to get along with them. By ourselves, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and having mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness toward them, not attitudes toward them, not putting them down, not saying things snidely about them, or whatever. That's what Christianity is about. So are we being Christian or not? We claim to be Christian. Well, the proof is in, do I love God with all my heart and my neighbor as myself? And you don't get which, you don't get to pick which neighbor. You gotta love them all as yourself. Every one of them. I said it's simple. I didn't say it wasn't tough. Didn't say it wasn't difficult. It's just simple. This is all you gotta do. Isn't that what we're reading here? If you'll just obey me, I'll give you every blessing. It'll take over you. And I will establish you as a holy people to myself. That's our goal as Christians, is to be a holy people to God. That's our goal. Keep two, two rules, and you'll be a holy people to God. As he has sworn to you, if you shall keep the commandments of the eternal your God, and walk in all his ways, and all people of the earth shall see that you are that, and that you're called by the name of the eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. If we could love God and put Him above everything, and we could love all of our neighbors as we love ourselves, the world would look at us and say, that's impossible. That can't be done. I've never seen that anywhere before. What's been your experience out here in life and in the world? Everywhere you go, you see people who can't get along, who fight, who argue, who are jealous, who are envious, who put each other down, who war and fight. That's what the whole world is about. And if they saw a people who put God and His rules and loving Him above everything and loved each other as much as they do themselves, they would be absolutely astounded. You know, well, I don't much anymore, but used to when I saved, shaved my face, I like this example. I didn't take a straight razor or even a safety razor and just start whacking. Because I learned 
that there would be blood here and here and there and over here. And everywhere I got a little too rough with that razor, I'd draw blood. So over time, I learned to treat my face pretty gently and to shave carefully because I didn't like sticking toilet paper in the blood spots to try to get it to quit running. So I took care of my face. I shaved it gently and lovingly so it didn't bleed. And now I need to treat everybody gently and lovingly so they don't bleed. I need to love you as much as I loved my poor tender face. True story. It's that simple. And then everything, everyone in the world would look at us and say, Wow! How could that happen? This is something completely out of my experience. Not the way my family was. Not the way the family gatherings were. Not the way our Christmases were. Jealous over who gave who what. Jealous over who brought what food. Going back 40 years and arguing about stuff we fought about when we were kids. You know, have Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year on top of it. Let's all get drunk and try to forget it on New Year's night. It's simple, brethren. I'm out of time. All the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Eternal shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of the cattle, and the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Eternal swore to you for your fathers to give you. The Eternal shall open to you His good treasure, the heaven to give the rain to the land in His season, and to bless the weather will be perfect. And to bless all the work of your hand. Everything you do is just going to turn good. And you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. You won't need a stinking credit card. Because you're the one that has and can give to others, not one that needs to borrow. And the Eternal shall make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above, you shall be above only, and shall not be beneath. Everything's looking good. Everything's roses. If, if that you hearken to the commandments of the eternal your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them, And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Put me first always. And put each other at least up with yourself in every way. And treat them the way you like to be treated and want to be treated. That's all there is to it. Just treat everybody the way you would like to be treated. How do you like to be treated? Every time you get upset with somebody, say, how would I like to be treated? 
That should We should think of that every day. How would I like to be treated? Oh, I guess I better treat them the way I like to be treated. We'd get along a whole lot better. You know what? We really would. God has set before us blessing if we will obey him. It's that simple.